Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's good to see everybody. We're going to kick this off with uh, having Mama light the Shabbat candles. Um, I want to thank everybody who's prepared the family for tonight's Shabbat to include Megan's weekly positioning and preparation, the atmosphere, everything Jason presented, everything Missy just presented. Um, and before we get into tonight, I, I want everybody to, to be aware that Tonight is, uh, you know, all of these Torah portions are special for one reason or another. Um, I feel like tonight is special because there's going to be a pattern that's made clear that we've talked about before. We say things that that basically allude to this pattern. Um, but this tonight, I feel like, is going to practically define what it means to be transitionaries. We say that we're transitionaries and we're, that we're called to that, but there's something very profound and simple and specific about tonight that kind of lays out the pattern of what it looks like to be a transitionary and what the what the context is for that. And uh, I think a lot of times we 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 know what this new identity is that we're stepping into, but we it's not enough to just know what the identity is but what that means as far as how you walk that out yeah. right we've we've said it before we can know who yahweh is but we have to know how he is and i want us to think about tonight as far as not just knowing who we are in the new identity we have but what that means as far as how we walk that out um being read by the torah has been intense because we're discovering this newness of our identity we're discovering the father's instructions um, but sometimes i feel like we can get tunnel vision as far as the torah being read by the torah what that means the pressure right we can get tunnel vision on the pressure um, that's taking place but i want us to be able to take a step back and realize what it is that's transpiring as far as how we're supposed to walk and it, I feel like it kind of simplifies things. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is, and Mom's going to dive into this on crazy levels, but before we get into the Torah, I just wanted to highlight something about what it means to maintain. Um, and I just want to read some synonyms of what it means to maintain. And point out, well, let me read these first. Continue, control, cultivate, finance, keep, manage, preserve, protect, provide, renew, retain, support, sustain, uphold. Those are all very powerful words about what it means to maintain. And those are all things that we're called to do. And I want to point out that everything Megan did to position us for this service, she did all of those things. She does all of those things. Everything that Yahweh presented to Missy, 
that she put on that he put on her heart to just present just now is doing all of those things. Everything Jason presented is doing all of those things. Cultivating, managing, preserving, protecting, providing, renewing, all of that. And that's ultimately things that we're called to do. And tonight's Torah portion is going to bring us to a practical application of what it looks like as far as how we do all those things. Not just that we're Torah observant now, not just that we focus on the Father's instructions, but it's calling us to do all of those things and how we walk out every day. Um, so with that being said, who was up for the Torah portion? Oh, we got Regina. Regina, you want to come up? Go ahead. Whenever you're ready. Now Abraham was old and advanced in years, and Adonai blessed Abraham and everything. Then Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who managed everything that belonged to him. Now put your hand under my thigh, so that I may make you take an oath by Adonai, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my, for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am dwelling. On the contrary, to my land and to my relatives, you must go and get a wife for my son Isaac. But the servant said to him, Suppose the woman were unwilling to follow after me to this land. Should I then have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham said to him, See to it that you don't return my son there. <clears throat> Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, and who spoke to me and made a pledge to me, saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is not willing to follow after you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Nevertheless, you must not return my son there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he made a pledge to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left with all the best of his master's things in his hand. Then he arose and went to Aram Neharam to Nahor city. Then he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time the time for the going out to draw water. Adonai, the God of, my Abraham, of Abraham, my master, he said, please make something happen before me today and show loyalty to Abraham, my master. Look, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are going out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please tip your jar so that I may drink and she will say, drink and I'll also water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. So by this I'll know that you have shown graciousness to my master. Now before he had finished speaking, behold, there was Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, going out with her jar and her shoulder. Now the young woman was very good-looking, a girl of marriageable age, and she was a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me a sip of water from your, from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord, and she quickly lowered her jar into her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also draw water for your camels until they finish drinking. So she quickly poured out her jug into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew water for all of his camels, while the man continued to pay close attention to her, keeping silent in order to know whether or not Adonai had made his way successful. Now after the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a nose ring of gold weighing half a shekel and two bracelets of, on her hands weighing ten shekels of gold. Whose daughter are you? he said. Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? 
She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She also said to him, There is both straw and plenty of feed for us, as well as room to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped Adonai, and he said, Blessed be Adonai, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loyalty and his truth toward my master. As for me, Adonai has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's house these things. Now Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man of the spring. As soon as he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on her sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus the man said to me, he went to the man. There he was, standing by the camels at the spring. So he said, Come in, blessed of Adonai. Why are you standing outside? And, and when I've tidied up the house, and there's room for the camels. So the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels. Straw and feed were given to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was placed before him to eat, but he said, I won't eat until I've stated my business. So he said, Speak. I am Abraham's servant, he said. Adonai has blessed my master very much, so that he has become great, and he has given to him flocks of sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male slaves, female slaves, camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, gave birth to a son for my master after she was old, and he gave him everything he owns. Then my master made me take an oath, saying, You must not take a wife for my son from among the Canaanites, the daughters of the Canaanites, whose land I am dwelling. Instead, you must go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. But I said to my master, Suppose the woman won't come back with me. So he said to him, So he said to me, Adonai, before whom I have walked continually, will send his angel with you, and he will make your way successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's household. Then you'll be free from my oath. If you come to my family and they don't give her to you, then you'll be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and I said, Adonai, the God of Abraham, my master, if you are really going to make my way upon which I am walking successful, look, I'm standing by the spring of water. So let it be that the unmarried girl who is going out to draw water, to whom I'll say, please give me a little water to drink from your jug, and she'll say to me, you drink and I'll also draw water for your camels. Let her be the woman whom Adonai appoints for my master's son. I had not yet finished speaking to my heart, and behold, there was Rebekah going out. Her jug was on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, Please give me a drink, and she quickly lowered her jug off her, and said, Drink, and I'll also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. And then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I placed the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her hands. I bowed down and worshipped Adonai and blessed Adonai, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the true way to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. So now, if you're really going to show loyalty and truth to my master, tell me. But if not, tell me and I'll turn to the right or to the left. Oh. Oh. Oh, you did? Oh. Okay, cool. <laughs> that was a long one. That was a long one. <laughs> Alright, if everybody did. wants to get their communion elements. Alright, so Father, we just thank you for your word coming forth tonight for the Torah portion. We thank you for what it's doing in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity to be read tonight. And we just declare before you, Father, that this Torah portion would be written on our hearts. And Father, as we drink of you, we also just declare not only that it's established, but that we will do whatever is required of that establishing, Father, before we even know what it is. Is everybody ready? <laughs> 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 
Um, I have like eight pages of stuff and then I've got my own writing is like six pages and then I've got a highlighter of like this first then this then this and then like it goes like this one two three four <laughs> so I cannot I cannot guarantee exactly how this is gonna come out but it is gonna come out and there is a lot in this I mean there's a lot in all of them I feel like I say that every single time but um not but but it just keeps growing and each each we just keep coming alive in each portion and there's just so much meat that i can't help but be like man if you can just focus in on this one section how much is gained from it it's not you know better than any of the other ones but every time i'm in it i'm like okay this is this is the one <laughs> um so it was awesome to hear Ellen be like, this might be my personal favorite because I will say this. As I was reading it, isn't it interesting that some of the Torah portions, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it was like, he took her, they had a son, and there's Isaac. It was like three sentences. Like the promised son, three sentences. And then you've got, and then I got camels, and then I journeyed, and then I did, and it's just this back and forth story. Why? So much detail. In yeah. something that could be so insignificant. Yeah. Here, it could be very easy. Abraham says, go do this. He's, he says, okay. And there's Rebecca. But that's not, but because he did that with Isaac. Like there's certain moments where it's just Moshe makes the decision to be like, and this is just what happened. And it's like, okay. And then there's other chapters where it's like, you just spent so much. Okay, why are you yeah. spending so much time on this? Yeah. And I believe that we're going to find out in, well, we are going to find out in this Torah portion, if you didn't recognize it, that there is a secret message of foreshadowing in this chapter for us. And I, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to debate on whether or not I blow your minds up front or if I like lead up to blowing your minds and then send you home and maybe, and I don't mean to make it sound like I'm going to blow your mind. You probably already have all this, but there's just something that comes when you corporately are together. I study this and I get blown. I'm not saying I'm here to blow your mind. I get my mind blown. I remember the last time I released, which was two weeks ago, I came home. I go half that stuff. I didn't even have, I had no idea. I mean, I had it obvious. I didn't even know. Like, it's like, as I'm ministering, I'm like, Oh, it's, the frequency and you know then Yahweh just begins to blow my mind and so I'm excited about getting my mind blown so I really meant that on boxer when she said we don't know what seat they're carrying don't don't be familiar yeah. I didn't mean that like you guys don't know our seat I don't know our seat because yeah. I'm carrying what we don't know <laughs> What? <laughs> anyways so I don't know how this is gonna come out but either way it's gonna be good because it's gonna come out I just there's there's a lot that we're gonna go over but um, before I get into this week's Torah portion, I did want to touch base on last week's Torah portion. Not because I feel like I need to touch on it, because Megan did such an amazing job. As soon as she told me what Yahweh had given her, she was nervous that she, she, she always does this. I don't know if I'm going to steer the family in the wrong direction. I'm like, I wouldn't put you in that role. If I thought that there, if there was a chance you were going to steal the fam or steer the family in the wrong I <laughs> or if I anyways 
But what she said that Yahweh had her tap into, I was like, that's awesome, because that's exactly what I would have ministered on, are those things about death unto life, and oh, I can't remember, you said it, so, and remembrance, that was like the biggest, yeah, and then that death is the means to life, which is also the means to the promise, and that we would be a people that remember. That was huge in last week's Torah portion. So I do want to touch base on just a couple of things just to kind of dot connect because last week, as you guys know, we shifted into another whole section of Torah portions. So we have, he is a, he appeared and now we have the life of Sarah. Super crazy. The life of Sarah, first chapter, she's dead. You would think the life of Sarah would have been way back when they met. But the life of Sarah starts with her remembrance. That is what Megan was tapping into. That is what Yahweh is saying. A Hebrew culture says that death is life. It's backwards. The beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. And so the life of Sarah, just in a simple title, is trying to reveal to us that there should not be um, um, uh, fear. There can be... Oh, I don't know how to, we need to look at death differently yeah. because it's in the death and in remembering her life that she lives, not to yeah. mention how can you make a statement that you believe in resurrection life unless you face death in its face. Yeah. You can't say, I believe in resurrection life if you don't look at death. Yeah. So how can you, how can you, burial is not, really the purpose of burial is for you to make a statement on your relationship with Yahweh. The purpose of how we view death is to reveal your relationship with Yahweh. It's what it's how we view our relationship with him. It's a statement of what we believe in him. And and through burial, we believe in resurrection life. Yeah. And we already know that Abraham was that crazy because he was willing to kill his son because he believed in, in resurrection life. So for him and what we see in the life of Sarah is we begin to see the beginning because of the end and his faith in that, not to mention how he chose to do it. So, I mean, I know you guys already went all over this, but I want to, and, 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 and I really want to hone in on last week because we need to remember as Kingdom Mare's DNA, the mantle that we carry started with the revelation of I take life to give it. And religion said, you will not speak that word in this house. You are not going to say that he takes life to give it because we didn't want to look at the taking of life. But if we don't look at the take of life, then we don't understand the giving of life. That is our mantle as kingdom heirs. So last week's chapter was huge for our DNA because of what we, what we stand for. And I, I, I'm reading, I read, Zoe gave me a book, Tuesdays with Maury. It was awesome. I read it. it, was, it anyways, it was awesome. But it's about this man who is giving his wisdom to a, uh, to a student. And in, in one of the things that he talks about huge is you will not learn to live until you learn to die. This is not a kingdom book, but he, he's dying. So yeah. he's basically teaching his student, when you face this, yeah. I mean, he even talks about, oh my gosh, there was so much in there. I was like, what? Um, but he talks about if you don't learn about debt, like if you stop being afraid of it and all this, like if you learn the concept that this is going to happen, then you'll actually learn to live. Yeah. So again, you lose your life, you gain it. Yeah. It's the, that last week's Torah portion was the revelation of what Yeshua was saying when yeah. he said that, you know, yeah. you lose your life, you're going to gain it. Okay. 
So then you go into Abraham and him remembering. We have to remember that when we remember, the purpose of that is because we believe that his image is in the person. So he he chose to, like I said, you guys have already talked about this, but it was expensive and inconvenient. The land that he purchased was expensive and inconvenient. For example, 400 shekels of silver is not something that people just had. They didn't, cattle and livestock and trading would have been another whole thing for Abraham. Silver, completely different. And in that culture, they chose to bargain vocally and in public. And so it wasn't like, um, I can't remember his name, Ephron? Am I saying that right? It wasn't like he was saying, what's 400 shekels between us? Because he was trying to give it away. That was a custom in their time to basically name the price and name it high, knowing that the other person was going to bargain. But Abraham said full price. Like he didn't come in and undercut. So he and, and then not to mention it was expensive. He did it fully. It was in public. But part of the part of what I wanted to hone in on was that and she did. It was a legal deed. You have you guys seen um, his chosen son? Is that what it's called? My chosen son, Abraham, the story of Abraham. Have you guys seen it yet? It's really, really good. Especially now that we're in Torah portions, it's really, really awesome. But one of the things that Sarah in the movie was getting so frustrated with, with Abraham, was your God promised a land and he didn't own anything until this moment. So there's something about the legal, in the moment of I'm going to remember and honor my wife's image in such a way that I am going to make this legal and purchases the land. Now, something that's super significant for all of us is this land is called the the um, the patriarchs. Oh, forgetting the name of it, the father of patriarchs. It's where people in in Jerusalem where they go and pray now. This scripture, last week's scripture, is one of the only places written and documented that shows that this is for our people. So when the enemy comes in and says, no, a mosque is going to be built here, and the Jews are not allowed to come here, it's because they're trying to blot out any history that there is a legal ownership over this land. Now, this is not just Old Testament. Fast forward, Stephen, in his testament vocalizes this scripture about the purchase of this land. So you've got the renewed covenant that's basically trying to prove that Yeshua is real using Genesis 1 through 50 to be able to give his testimony. And so anyways, it's just, it's a powerful thing for us to hold on to when it comes time to ownership and the land and remembrance and what it was that was happening uh, in last week's Torah portion. Amen? Amen. So I just wanted to like add a couple of those things that full price, made it legal, inconvenient, expensive. And, and the, at the time that the purchase happens, it was to bury his dead. Now, in the future, in a couple of chapters, few cha- well, a lot of chapters, a lot of weeks for us, we're going to find that Joseph, they, he, he uses the same land and makes a purchase deed as well in order for his family to be buried. So there is a huge part of land that becomes legally theirs and is one of the only places where it's documented that it is theirs. And up until this point, up until today, there's no documentation that says that it was ever sold or given away. This is the legal document written for all of time 
that says that this is for our people, which we see in today's culture what's happening when we've got a culture that says this is not yours. It's because the enemy's trying to blot out that this is not real. But th- but this is real. That's why it was Moshe made it a point. It was public and written for all of time that he purchased that land. It was legal. Not because if you think about it, even if he had said like, "Oh, that's great." Um, think about undercutting. Somebody goes, "Oh, yeah. what's 400 shekels?" Cool, I get it for free. Yeah. What would have happened yeah. in yeah. 5 yeah. generations yeah. when yeah. the enemy right. goes, "That ain't yours?" That's why he said yeah. full price, yeah. legal and in public and all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so we recognize that, yes, there was death, but in that remembrance and in our culture, understanding that that level of remembrance brings us into life, brings us into the means to the promise. Here we are in this next chapter. Okay. 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 All right. There are... Two big things that are going to happen tonight. <laughs> uh, the One of the big things is this chapter teaches us how to walk the journey. I love that picture. It's like you guys have all read the Torah portions. I mean, it, it, Eliezer goes on a really big, uh, the servant, I'm going to get there, goes on a really big journey. And so we, we find ourselves learning from this servant how we can walk in a journey when you're looking for his promise under his commandment and how to obtain discernment. This is a huge chapter for us religious folks that came out of religion because all we knew was you just need to have discernment. And so you're just tossed to and fro. Whatever feels good in the moment is your level of discernment. This chapter teaches us exactly how to understand how to walk in discernment. So, 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 um, so we are going to learn how to discern. We are going to learn uh, some of the, the way that the servant walked is we're going to learn. We're just going to learn some practical stuff on how to walk which is what he's talking about as transitionaries. How do we do this? Great. Death, death to life. Now that we have life, how? Yeah. That's, what, that's what's going to happen tonight. All right. And then there's one other big thing that's going to happen. So I just don't know when I'm going to insert that yet. All right. Let me just start. Um, the, basically, he already talked about it. The big overarching thing in this chapter is maintenance. It's it's how to maintain. It's how to walk this out. It it there's there's this there's the maintenance of the covenant, um, which we see is all about generations. How can you maintain a covenant if Isaac doesn't get married? If Isaac does not have an heir, there is no maintenance to this covenant. So this is the beginning of the workings of us understanding that once the covenant's made, you have to maintain or it stops in the generations. It could. Abraham could have had a great life, cut covenant, dwelling with Yahweh, seeing his face, worshiping, and leave it at that and not even worry about what the promise was. He could have said, the, think of, what, what if we learned about salvation? Covenant's enough. Would this, how do I, is this enough? I don't know how to say this. This is everything because this is central. 
Children are in addition. I'm not undermining that when I say this, but I don't know how else to say this. At the same time, without the next generation, this dies. There's no point in this unless that. So, so we're seeing that maintenance is all about the next generation. Now, when I say that, it's all about the next generation by making this first. It is all about yeah. the covenant. But we can't forget that you've got to maintain the covenant. So there's this, there's this concept of being able to understand that there's covenant, but then there's the maintenance of the covenant and, and being able to multiply in that or else it dies. Yeah. So that's what I mean by maintenance is it's absolutely generational. Now, we're going to get very, very specific we're going to get really, really specific on how to discern on, on your personal walk. But remember that the big picture is you need to discern on your walk because you're looking for what's next for the next generation. That's why we want to maintain. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just want us to remember that big picture because we're going to get into specifics on, for example, obedience. But un unto what is my point? Why? Because you're, you're under a commandment that is going to further and maintain the covenant. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, right off the bat, I want to just, there's like tidbits that I'm going to like throw out. And that's what I don't know what order it's going to go in. But right off the bat, I think that this is interesting. Adonai blesses Abraham in everything. Just that word alone, everything. You mean like when he was in war? And you mean like when he had to almost sacrifice his son? When he lost Ishmael? You mean in all those hardships he was blessed? Right? A lot of us think blessing is when things are going good. Right. And this is a statement of Abraham was blessed in everything. The good and the bad, because it's everything. Now, another little, um, just a little thing when you're, when you're studying, that the word everything there in Hebrew has the same numerical value as sun. So there's this aspect of he was blessed in everything. And when we read everything there, it means he was blessed generationally. So just kind of a cool, like thinking about everything is everything he went through for us. Blessed in everything and blessed in everything that's to come. So this is kind of an all-encompassing everything. Um, we, we know this but I'm just going to say it, that the bedrock to our covenant is generational, which I've already said, but we have to remember that what was the blessing from Abraham in the beginning? What was the, what was the fulfillment of the covenant? What was, what was he promised? He was promised a son, but beyond son, what was he promised? The land for, for generations. So that what? So all of the nations would be blessed. Good job, guys. Well, I'm like, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> it's all right. But I mean, it's hard whenever I ask a question and you're like, what? but what are you after? I know how that feels when you're like, well, it depends. Which direction are we going? I could answer a multitude of ways. But I mean, at the end of the day, that was the fulfillment. That was the end result was that through you, all of the nations are going to be blessed. And so we have to remember that covenant is so generational because Abraham generationally, all the nations were still having to walk out that promise. Right. 
all of the nations need to be blessed. We, he's still, he's still, right? We're still work, we're still working at that. And so that, that, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty big picture. And how many of us can get so narrow focused and be like, am I going to make it through today? Right? To, to recognize that blessing. So actually, I want to read. I don't know where I put this. This is where I'm going to have to. It's all right. It's all right. We're going to read out of John. I'll just read it to you guys really quick. I'm in John um, 8.56. I, I just, th- this is just a little insert here. I'm going to start in 54. Yeshua answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who gives me glory, the one of whom you say he is our God. Yet you do not know him, but I know him. If I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. Yet I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was thrilled. This is why Paul can so boldly say that Abraham is the father of our faith. There, you cannot separate Abraham and the covenant and Yeshua. You cannot do it. Christianity does it. You cannot do it. Yeshua himself says you cannot do it. That, that this is what he was looking towards. The covenants are connected. The, connect, the covenants are connected. I mean, right? We understand that. But I'm, I'm, Abraham's, th- this whole thing points to Yeshua and you can't, sep- you can't, you can't separate it. So, um, Again, looking at who he was and talking about the generational covenant, that's why this chapter is so important because Isaac at this point does not have a wife, you know? And so, so that, that, that is the significance of this, not just a story of how, to, how, to get, how we got his wife, but why there was such an importance, and we're going to get into it with an oath, who he chooses and the yeah. direction and where she comes from, who yeah. she is and yeah. what she does is all super significant because this is where we are today. Yeah. So, are you guys okay? Yeah. You guys good? Okay. Um, I'm going to just uh, teach a little bit about the beginning of this and then I think I'm going to drop the bomb because I want us to see multidimensionally from this, once I, once I drop this, moving forward, I want us to see in a couple different dimensions. So I think I'm going to do it up front. Okay. But I do want to teach on a couple things because I know that there's just some weird stuff. So right off the bat, put your, put your hand on my thigh. So we're just going to talk about that a little bit. Um, there are several scriptures that say procreation, or it says that children come from the loins. That word loins is thigh. So it's kind of interchangeable. In a way you could, he was basically saying, put your hand where it counts. I know that that seems like, what? But if you understand the importance of what he was owing to, you wouldn't think it was so odd when we've learned that the mark of the covenant was circumcision. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. Now, I'm not saying that that's literally what happened. I'm just saying that's what's going on here. When he says, put your hand on my thigh, he's saying where, where, where the promise of my loins comes from, I need you to oath on that. I need you to oath on that, on that, um, on that sign of the covenant, on, on, on the place of procreation and on the place of circumcision. Does that make sense? So that's why it's thigh. And there's a couple of scriptures in Genesis that talk about uh, children coming from the thigh. It's talking about the loins. So that's where his hand was in order to um, seal this oath. Um, going back to John 8, this kind of overlaps a little bit, but there's this crazy thing that says, please promise me 
that you're going to not find a wife where I dwell, right? I don't want you to find a wife where I dwell. I need you to go back to my family's house. I need you to go back to the land I came from, and that's where you're going to find a wife. And then there's this other weird thing that says, and, 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 and you cannot take my son to that place either, right? So there's this odd, you, you need to leave, and you need to go get a wife, but if she doesn't follow you, you, you have to promise me that you're not going to take my son back to my father's house. Okay. Um, I, I want to kind of just give some context here to the journey that's going to happen. His, the father's, where he came from, remember way back in, I think Genesis 12, you're going to leave the land of Ur and the Chadleans. Uh, that's 500 miles away from where he is right now. 500 miles. So I kind of did a little bit of research. 500 miles is Denver. That's if it's a straight shot. Most likely this traveling journey to get back to this land was not a straight shot. They think it was about 900 miles. 900 miles is San Antonio. So think of Flagstaff to San Antonio is this journey that he is commanding him, you need to go there. You need to go there. You cannot find a wife here. You need to go there. Does that, we're not talking about like the next neighborhood. Yeah. We're talking about another people. We're talking about another, you need to go back to the land I came from, which is 900 miles away. You need to go to San Antonio to find the wife. Well, what if she doesn't follow me back? I mean, that's, that's, that's legit. <laughs> I mean, you know. So then, and then he says, I, what I need you to do, though, is I need you to promise that you're not going to take my son back there. Okay. So I just want to, like, lay that groundwork there, okay? Now, um... Okay, I'll just, that's it. Okay. Are we, do, are we all right? Yeah. Are we doing okay? Yeah? Okay. I'm going to write this out, and then I'm going to talk on it, and then we'll kind of move forward. I want us to see this chapter relevant for today. And then you're going to, like, read this whole thing completely different. <laughs> this entire chapter is, I'm trying to spell this wrong, four, can I write that? A, a foreshadow. So we have Abraham, we have Isaac, Yisak, we've got Rivka, Rebecca, and we have the servant. Abraham in this story represents Yahweh, not writing. Isaac represents Yeshua. Rivka represents bride who is the servant is a Gentile. Did you guys pick up on this when you read it? Or am I blowing your mind? <laughs> Rivka is Rebecca. Sorry, that's the Hebrew. Okay, so what this chapter is doing is you have Yahweh who is after a wife for the promised son and puts the authority in the Gentile to go find her. Now, you'll understand what I've been talking about for the last year, neither Jew nor Gentile, 
That's why replacement theology is off. And I'm not saying you're not the church. I'm just saying his bride is Jew and Gentile. But in this story, you get to see your responsibility that it is the Gentile to go find, essentially, the Jew to marry the son. Which is why this is going to be so important when we learn the servant and how that servant walked. And, I, and I'll get into the servant. So what, what, did I, what was I supposed to say again? Anything you just said, like... Say that again. Lay it out again. <laughs> Yahweh. Yahweh is looking for a bride for his promised son. It is not in Yahweh's hands to find her. He puts the authority in his servant in the house who is a Gentile to go find her. Now you read this chapter and you have a whole different view on who is that servant, why is that servant, what was the oath for, what was the prompt, and that we're and we're gonna we're gonna get into it because you start to see characteristics of Rebecca and you begin to see characteristics of, of, of the servant, and it just starts all coming together. So I wanted to give you that viewpoint as we go through this so that you know kind of where you lie as the Torah reads us. Yeah. Well, do you have a question? Uh, Yahweh's looking for a bride for his son. Yes. Yahweh's looking for a bride for his son, and he puts the authority in a Gentile to go find her. Who is a servant in the house? So you guys ready? Yeah. Is everyone? Are we all right? It's good. That's good. Okay. Did anybody feel that or see that as we were reading the Torah portions? As you were reading? Nope. I I like. Well, anyways, we won't say how we got there, but. It's the gospel. I keep saying it every week. The gospel is in this chapter. <laughs> right? I mean, talk about mission work. Yeah. Talk about evangelism. I'm like, it's, it's in here. I mean, there's like a playbook, and we've been handing out tracts to the sinner. Is he looking for a sinner? Okay, okay. We're just gonna we're just going to let the Torah blow our minds. <laughs> um Okay. Hi, uh, where do I want to start? You told me to follow my numbers. I'm trying. Okay. I already kind of said the name, but we're going to go there. So up until this point, he's been servant, right? But if you read in the scripture, it says, um, uh, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who managed everything that belonged to him. If we remember, we've already been described Eliezer. He was the one, he is the oldest servant because he was the one that he said is my heir of the household. You guys remember that? Before Isaac, he said, but he's my heir. So we're, this is Eliezer. Okay. Now, um, oh, okay. Um, okay. I, yes. 
Let me just talk a little bit about, you guys, I'm going to probably just like jump ahead, say a bunch of things, and I'm going to have to backtrap. So you're just going to have to like flow with me here. Okay. So Eliezer obviously is the oldest of the household. This, we are talking about Eliezer, right? Right. Now here's a profound thing. Now, remember, I just said Eliezer is you. So when I talk about Eliezer, hear that from that perspective. Eliezer could have gotten bitter when he wasn't chosen because Isaac was chosen. But he stayed and served in the house. He didn't go, oh, well, I'm not an heir. You want another one? You want blood? Come on, what does the church do? Oh, what, the Jews, they're the chosen ones? I don't think so. Eliezer did not do that. He did not say, well, what, what do you mean I'm not going to be the heir? You want blood? He, wa- he honored him wanting a bloodline, yeah. still chose to stay in the house, yeah. and still chose to serve. Yeah. He still is a servant chapters later. The highest servant. And entrusted with all of the authority to find the wife of the heir that replaced him. <laughs> I have goosebumps. Because he was, he didn't get bitter and he didn't run away because he wasn't chosen. He stayed in the house and he served his master that he was then ultimately given all of the authority to find the bride of the heir. Now, let me put this in perspective. Eliezer was with Yahweh for 60 years at this point. 60 years. Eliezer served his master. They believe that he was, they call it a, I'm going to probably say it wrong, Rosh Hashiva. It basically means the head of an institution. Uh, He was, this is so crazy. He was entrusted with everything in his household, including, what was the number one commandment given to Abraham? I mean, not necessarily Abraham, but, well, I mean, it was in the very beginning, but we'll read it later on. The commandment is you teach your sons and daughters, my instructions. So if he owns everything, his job in that house was to teach his sons and daughters Torah. Yeah. (laughs) Eliezer, 60 years. He was entrusted as the teacher of the instructions to the entire household. That was was his role in the house. Because he was the one that taught the sons and daughters Torah, he ultimately then was entrusted with such a command to go and find his wife. Yeah. he's the only one fit he had to know those instructions like nobody's business he's teaching them he's in charge of all of that and because of that he's the only one fit to go and find the wife like we can go home and I still have like five more pages isn't that, isn't that awesome? Yeah. So think about who we are. Yeah. For years, just follow his instructions. Know them. Be intentional. Teach them. 
And in that, you will be entrusted to go and find the bride. Yeah. Which is the only way he can come back. Right. Which we're going to get into. <laughs> okay, let me just, I don't know if this is totally out of order, but I'm just going to go there. That weird thing that Abraham says, you need to go, and well, I think I kind of already tapped into that, right? You need to go to my father's land to find the wife because he, the bloodline needed to be pure. It needed to come from his family. Right? So that's why he needed to basically go find a Hebrew. That's why he said, you cannot find a bride in amongst where I'm dwelling right now. Because he needed to stay in that commandment that the descendants were to come from his bloodline. Okay? So we, we understand that, right? So that's why he's saying, you've got to go back to my family. Why did he say, and if she doesn't follow, which we're going to get into, how powerful Rebecca is, if she does not follow you back home, you need to promise me that you will not take my son back there. Now, here's what he's saying. He wasn't, Abraham was not um, doubting. Well, I don't know if she's going to follow. So maybe just, you know, you'll, you'll be free of this oath if she doesn't follow. I don't take it as him being doubtful. I take it as him saying it is more important that my son remains single than to take him back out of this promised land. What he's saying is that bride is going to come to him. He will not go to her. That's good. Yeah. He was born in the promised land. He ain't moving. See now the whole concept yeah. of come meet me. Yeah, right. And he says, no, come up here. His father does not want him leaving where he resides. He's not going back to a place. He's going to stay in that promised land. He's not allowed to go back. She will follow and she will come and dwell here. And he was basically saying, you'll be freed from the oath if she doesn't follow because it would be better that my son does not have... It would be better if my son was alone than to have him meet someone in their old place. I need them to come to the new land. This is the promised land. This is yeah. what he promised yeah. us. I'd rather him not have her. Every tabernacles, he doesn't come. I'd rather him not have her than to ha make him leave a place and go to their old place because I'm requiring her to go from her old place and come to the new place and dwell with him there. That little powerful, interesting, don't let my son go back. And it's like, why? Well, when you see it from this context, Yahweh's saying, <laughs> Yeshua ain't leaving his spot. She will come to him. Now, Yeshua, I'm sure in his goodness would be like, I'll go anywhere. Right, that elder brother that we so like to land on because we don't want the father's instructions. Yeshua is so good, he'll meet us wherever we're at, which is awesome. And I'm sure Esau, we wanted a wife. Maybe he would. Yahweh is saying, yeah. vow to me, you will not let my son leave this place. Yeah. The father's instructions is saying, no, the bride I want for my promised son will come to him. Yep. See the difference between father and son? 
and how we can get it off when we just stop at Yeshua, which, and I'm not, you guys understand what I'm saying, but Yahweh is coming and saying, here's my standard. Now, servant, Gentile, it is your responsibility to make sure that the bride goes to him, not the other way around. And to, to understand that, then we can't want that. I mean, the, the selflessness in Eliezer. Yeah. You know, you know I, how, could I be, how could I be required to find a wife for the bride if I'm the one saying, but I want, I, I want, a, yeah. I want a wife. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's things like that. Like, I'm like, oh. And then I had to, like, marinate in that for a while. But think about that. Who have we been to say, no, but I want the bride? Yeah. Anyways, he had to be so understanding of his father's commandments that he wouldn't compromise. Yeah. But he would have compromised if in and of himself he didn't. Yeah. Is that making sense? Okay. It's really good. All right. I'm going to come back to some of the characteristics of just kind of some ran random things that we see in Eliezer, as well as um, Rebecca, and I'm going to get into the, the jewelry, and I'm going to get into some of that stuff, but for, but for now, I want to talk about the journey, because up until this point, we've talked about that oath and that commandment. Now you need to go and find her, and then the rest of the story is how he leaves to find her which gives us instructions as the Gentile that's been in the house for 60 years, operating under the master, teaching Torah to be given such a task as this. And then when that task is given, now we see how do we walk out that task? So, um, so we're going to dive into that. And there was four things that I picked up on. I'm sure that there's a lot more, but there's four things I want to talk about tonight. I don't necessarily have titles for them, but if you're taking notes, Basically, the first one is how to discern. The second one is um, ob obedience. The third one is simple. Not like it is simple, like my title is, it's simple. And then four, uh, constant communion. I mean, those are kind of obvious, but I am going to speak on them a little bit. Um... And then I'll probably just maybe maybe as I'm speaking on these things, I might just kind of introduce a couple of things for us to to see more of the characteristics of what's going on. Um, I want to talk about discern, discernment here because this is a, a really a really powerful chapter of very specifics of being able to is that God is that not kind of concept that we walk through life. Um, how do I know it's him? How do I know it's not? What am I looking for? How do I know when it shows up, right? I mean, it's all relevant. Whether you're looking for a wife or not, That's I'm just talking about super practical right now. As we walk out our day and you're, you're seeking Yahweh on things, how do you know that it's him or not? And how do, you, how, how, do, how do we do this? And I feel like there's some things that he wants to show us. So um, there, there's... There are two, I'm sure there's more, but I'm just going to talk about two. There are two main modes of how we operate in discernment. In these two modes is 
basically going to reveal your relationship with Yahweh. That's how important I think this is. How you discern is going to reveal how you relate to Yahweh. It's what you believe about him. It's how you think. It's how you process. It's what you, and, and neither one is right or wrong. But what I want to present is that could we try to be a people that's not either or. There's two modes. And again, I want to bring out we could be a people that are both. So that you're not pendulum swinging on one way or the other. Okay. So you have discernment can either be objective or subjective. The objective discernment is very much Yahweh reveals to his prophets through the revealed scripture. It's black and white. It's the scripture and it's only the scripture. Right? That's super objective. He is going to reveal things in my life through the scripture, through the prophets and through the scripture. Right? Very objective. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. What happens when you only are objective? I mean, that's kind of what we run. That's what we run into. Then you've got the subjective way to discern, which is personal revelation at every juncture in life. And you can see modes of thought. I mean, you've got churches built off of it. You've got one that's very, you know, very, very, very subjective, and it's very much whatever Yahweh told me on this day at this decision. And this is what he's right. I mean, we've gotten that before. Well, Yahweh told me or, or God said, and it's like, ah. how do you do when it's subjective? What do you do when two people say God said, and it's the complete opposite of each other yeah. so that you run into problems? I mean, either way, it's not wrong, but it's also not necessarily if we only operate subjective, we have got a lot of problems. If you're only objective, I feel like we've got a lot of problems. So what I want to present is that I believe that Eliezer is showing us how to do both. That the way to walk in discernment is to, is to um, objectively follow his, father, his master's instructions. The revealed revelation. He didn't get a revelation to go find a wife for Isaac. He was told to go get a wife for Isaac. There's the objective. The scripture says you do this. You don't get to decide subjectively if the scriptures work for you or not. <laughs> Yahweh told him you need to, or Abraham told him you need to go do this. He was about his master's business. While on the journey, he didn't have Abraham to be like, well, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. He had to have subjective moments with him to be able to follow where to go in, in the leading. And, and, it, and it says it a couple times in scriptures. He led me along the way. That's that subjective aspect of it. Yeah. So again, just trying to evaluate as the Torah is reading us, kind of where do you fall in that? And, and is there any adjustments to be able to have both? Because he's showing us how to, be, how to do both. Okay? Yes? How was he objective? How what? How was he objective? How was he objective? Well, in my perspective, he was objective because uh, Abraham told him to do something and he followed that command. Like the literal, like he went. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, get, you know, you know, basically following his instructions, which would be the same thing as, you know, the revealed scripture or through a prophet who tells you something and then you're immediately obedient to it. And some of these will kind of flow because my next one is obedience, which we'll talk about that. Here's another thing with subjective and objective discernment. We need to be careful to not use circumstances to tell us whether or not something's Yahweh or not. Mm -hmm. 
And at the same time, we have to use circumstances to tell us if it's Yahweh or not. So here's, the dif- here's where I'm going to say it, it's different. If you are someone that uses circumstances to tell you if something is Yahweh or not, without knowing before what you're looking for, you will be tossed to and fro and allowing whatever to tell you what's God and what's not as it unfolds. We cannot be those people. You, because what, here's what's going to happen. Your nature is when you look at a circumstance, let's say you're, you're, you're seeking out something from Yahweh, you're going to naturally find right. agreement right. with what affirms what you thought you heard. You're going to naturally find the circumstance that says, oh, see, that was Yahweh. And you're going to naturally take any circumstance that's against what you heard and say, that's the devil, and you're going to ignore it. Uh Right? So that's our natural instinct is to take circumstances and kind of say, well, that was God and that wasn't. And then you're kind of, you're you're going through life looking at circumstances to try to tell you where, where you lie. You can use circumstances to affirm or, uh, or what's the opposite of affirmation? Deny. Deny, deny what Yahweh's saying if you know what you're looking for before. So something Eliezer did was he established what he was looking for prior to him finding it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard this before. Lay a fleece, I, I, you know... Um, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into that. But I know what you're looking for. Let him affirm what you're looking for instead of, I think that was Yahweh. Because you didn't know beforehand and then something happens, takes you off guard, and then you got to try to figure out if that's the devil or God. Figure, put it, put it first so you know what you're looking for. And then you'll know that it's Yahweh. Because the devil, if you say, I, if Eliezer says, I need a woman who is going to also feed my camels, it's not like the devil's going to be like, hee, hee, hee. <laughs> now, I, I, well, anyways, we'll get into why he said that he wanted the camels fed. And, then, and they, because you got to be, you have to be all, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. Don't, don't get so crazy with your requests that you make it impossible for God. I know nothing's impossible for God, but come on. Eliezer didn't say, and then the whole city is going to be flipped upside down and revival is going to break out. And then, well, no. (laughs) But we do that. Yahweh's there if revival breaks out. No, Yahweh's there. If you come in on a Friday and say, this is a feeling, or, you know, I'm looking for this. I mean, it's like what Missy said. I could say, um, Yahweh will be in my presence if... I, I don't, the, the light is twitching. I don't know. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Make it remarkable. What Eliezer did was he made the, um, he made the request remarkable. Something that wasn't common, but not so crazy that it couldn't be done. We're, we're going to get into more of what Eliezer did because he also partnered with the word. He didn't just sit back and be like, I wonder if you're always going to do it. Yeah. I mean, well, I'll get into it right now. He ran to her. Yeah. He did not say, will you feed my camels? <laughs> right. right? He didn't make something happen, but he also didn't sit back and be like, I wonder if she's going to feed my camels. Yeah. 
he <laughs> ran to her and introduced himself. He, didn't, he wasn't so over-spiritual yeah. that he couldn't say, here's who I am and who are you? Yeah. But at the same time, he didn't, he didn't make it happen, but he also didn't see the both the objective and subjective. He wasn't so objective that he was like, well, if it's God, then I guess he'll just do everything I said. I'll just sit back. And, but he also didn't like get so subjective that it was like, I need this. He didn't force something to happen. So is that making sense with the circumstances and how to kind of discern as we're going? So, so it's okay to throw out those signs beforehand because you want to be led along the way. And when you throw those signs out, you'll know that it's him guiding you as you're led. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let, yeah, I'll, ju- I'll just I'll talk about that. So, so the remarkable. The, the, the signs that he asked for were remarkable, uh, but they were possible. And he partnered with them. He partnered with the signs. So let me give an example of what's remarkable. He said, if I ask her for a drink, she'll tip her jar to me. And then she'll feed my camels. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the scriptures, he had how many camels with him? Ten. He had an entourage with him. He had people with him. He had ten camels. Now, just a really quick research. I found out one camel drinks 20 gallons. This is at least one hour of work for her. He runs to her and meets her. But what's so powerful is she says, well, and let me feed, let me water your camels. There is something, I, I, I guess I'll just get into it now. There is something so powerful about the bride and the, and the servant. Because the, once she did that, it would have been easy for him to be like, it's God. You don't need to do it. He sat back and let her work. He, 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 he waited for her to complete the task. He wanted to know that she was a servant, not by talk, but by doing. So she was amazing that she said, let me feed your camels. He could have cut it off. How many of us do that? No. Oh, oh, good, good, good. He, 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 he let her, he let her do the full work. So anyways, I, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that like his sign was a remarkable sign. To find a woman who would stop what she's doing at the time of watering to drink, to give him water, but then also feed all, to drink all, give water to all of the camels was a remarkable task, but yet not impossible. Now I'll get into this, but he was looking for a woman of character, which is why he also laid that sign. So I don't mean, before you get in the car, be like, if that cloud, now he'll speak to you in the clouds. He's in everything. But if you're looking for an answer, especially a generational one, on that kind of task, under that commandment, don't follow the clouds. Meaning like he, 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 he was after a woman of character, one that would follow through on her servanthood. Not just one that looked like it or not just one that talked like it, but one who actually did it. So that's what I mean by the sign. Let the sign be remarkable enough that it lines out what you're looking for is more of what I mean. 
I don't mean to, I, you, you guys understand what I'm saying, Missy. I don't mean to undermine. He's in, he's in the clouds. But if I'm, if I'm looking for something specific, then, then what I'm laying out for him to show me needs to be in alignment with what I'm looking for. Meaning, if you're, if you're saying, um, is that the house I'm supposed to buy? Don't be like, if a leaf falls in front of my face right now, that's the, Make your sign relevant to what you're after. An example like that would be like, this is this has been on my list, so everything on my list is in that house. Or does that and make it make the sign remarkable, make it possible, make it relevant. Yeah. Not whimsical is what I mean by the signs. So, okay. All right. Second thing, obedience which ties into the objective and subjective. Something super powerful. We've heard this a million times, but I'm gonna say it this way. Actually, I may have a drink of water real quick. You can't steer a boat if it's not on or driving. I can't steer my car if I'm not doing something with it. I mean, I can't can't go left if I if the engine's not on. So what he did was he was obedient first. Then waits for his instructions to guide him through. We've seen this before. He learned from the best. Who did it first? Abraham. Go to a land that's unknown. Just leave your father's house. And he goes. And it's that same, uh, same with uh, Isaac. Go here and I'll meet you there. Yeah. So there's this idea that he's teaching us, you need to obey and start. Yeah. I will come in the journey. Yeah. That objective mindset will say, I ain't doing any of it until yeah. it's all lined out. Yep. You tell me who, where, what, when, how long, and then I'll go. Yep. Nope. <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's say, but, but at the... Uh, but at the same time, um, anyways, you guys get you guys get what I'm getting at. There's this step of obedience. He expects us to obey, and in that obedience, he says, "Okay, now here's the next step." He expects us to obey directions that have already been given. So that leads me into the the, the next one. It's simple. This is where faithful and little, you're faithful and much. It's simple. He is not, let me say, let me say this boldly. He will not give you the next step or another revelation if you have dismissed the last revelation he gave you or you were not obedient on the last thing he told you to do. Why would we expect he'd give us more when he has said, I've already given you something, you've done nothing with it? That's being faithful in the little, faithful in much. Go back to Eliezer. He's just the teacher of Torah in his father's house for 60 years. That is a daily little by little by little by little until go out and find a wife for the promised son. So you, be, um, let me just say, that we... we we can't wait for a new thing when the last instruction is undone. Um, 
and like I said, even to the extent of neglecting or despising what he's already given. Faithful and small before the greater. Part of this is understanding that Eliezer was tested and trusted. Same with Avraham. Tested and trusted. So don't despise the testing. Because it's in the testing, then you're trusted. This is where... Um, uh, I'm trying to... Being diligent in light things prepares you for heavy things. I mean, going, go, uh, weightlifting. Sorry, those are a lot of my analogies because that just usually that's where things get pushed out of me. But weightlifting, I cannot go in to start weightlifting and just grab 35 pound dumbbells and do bicep curls. I have to be diligent in the small. I think when I started, I was at maybe 12s. And then especially when you're around other people that are doing a lot more, you're just thinking like, but I have to be diligent in the small things, that lighter weight. Now, don't disregard that it may not feel light. The 12 pounds felt heavy. But he knows what's coming. If I had known that I was going to lift 35-pound dumbbells in, in, in bicep curls, I probably wouldn't have complained at the 12 pounds. But the 12 pounds were heavy. But he's saying, this is a light load. I'm preparing you for a heavy load. So being diligent in the light prepares us for the things that are heavy. Same with Eliezer. Not that the, not that it's a light thing. I'm sure it's a very heavy thing to teach Torah in the, in, in the master's house and, and owner of all of Abraham's things. But then all of a sudden to be given that weight, to be the one to follow a commandment, to go find the wife, that, I mean, that's, just, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a heavy thing, right? Um, uh, let me say this, obeying the laws or obeying his instructions, being obedient in the little, constantly doing them will put you in a position to be ready for his voice for other things. So that's what I'm ultimately saying. If we dismiss the instructions he's already given us, why would we think another revelation is going to come? Or if he says, well, you've dismissed the instructions already. I'm looking for an instruction. I'm looking for some guidance. And he's like, well, yeah. I've given you 24 chapters. You haven't read one of them. Yep. Or you've only read three of them. Yeah. And you definitely haven't digested them. You've just checkmarked it. But now you're wanting guidance on your next step in your job? Yep. It's all connected. Yeah. Don't take Friday night and Torah portions and everything I'm saying like it's some box outside of your life, your job, your livelihood, your money, your kids, your yep. grocery store, your, what, your, your car, yep. whatever. Whatever it may be. If you're like, man, I really need some wisdom on this next thing. And he's like, I don't know what wisdom you think you can obtain, but you haven't. Yeah. You've dismissed a ton of wisdom. Yep. All right. That leads into number four. That was mean. <laughs> well, let me say this. <laughs> I'm boldly saying this because you guys know, all of you guys know, the Torah reads me. And I'm over here, well, I'll just, I'll just say this. You guys know I get chastised just like you guys do. I'm moaning and crying over, you know, I need a, re I, I, I'm just, well, let me, what's the last thing I moaned and cried for? Hold on, let me think. Yes, it happened when I was in Florida. And I'm like, I need a strategy. I need help, I need wisdom, and I need all this stuff. And he basically just spanks me the whole time I'm in Florida. 
And he said, you have, well, this is getting into another whole thing. So hopefully this doesn't come out weird. But I have five spiritual moms in my cloud of witnesses. They were revealed to me years ago. And he basically goes, what kind of wisdom do you think you want me to give you? You have five mothers. <laughs> you don't even remember number five. Oh, God. I had to text him, who was number five? She's sitting right here like, I know. Isn't she nuts? <laughs> Seriously, how dishonoring, though. He gives me something so, it changed my life. It reversed five, five, five false mothers on this earth, yeah. reversed them, gave me something in the spirit, go all the way to New Mexico. Somebody sees the very m people I've seen in encounters and tells me that there are five women following me around wherever I go absolutely changes my life. I go home, I don't talk to number five, not one time. I don't even remember her name. And he's like, why would I honor you in anything when I've already given you heaven's resources and you haven't looked at her, talked to her, engaged her? Talk about Missy's little jar. Same thing. It does, it does, Yahweh, whatever it may be. It could be, it may, um, she was talking about engaging Yahweh. It could be engaging scripture. It could be engaging anything. And he just completely slapped me across the face and said, you're looking for another revelation. Why don't you just stand on what I gave you? So I basically spent the entire week getting to know my cloud of, my cloud of witnesses. So yeah. I am being read. And the, which is why it's so easy for me to be like, yeah, why don't you just listen to the last thing he gave you? Because he's saying the same thing. Why don't you just listen to the last thing I gave you? That was two years ago. Anyways, are you guys okay? Yeah. Okay. So I just, I don't want you guys to think I'm talking at you. I'm talking from you. That even makes sense. All right, number four, listening mode. Talk about listening mode. Go in a couple of years and I haven't heard a dang thing. Okay, so listening mode. Mm. I don't think I said listening mode. I said constant communion. But I have listening mode down here. Basically, Eliezer was in constant communion. Right? He, um, he trusted to be guided. And because he knew he was going to be guided, he, um, he, he listened. Does that make, he had faith that he was going to be guided on the journey. Because he knew he was going to be guided, he was paying attention. Mm -hmm. So how many of us are like, I haven't heard anything? Oh my God. <laughs> well, you're not listening. Yep. <laughs> or you don't like the direction that you're on. Mm -hmm. So you're not even on the path he gave you in the first place. Say that one. <laughs> <laughs> he heard him. Because he knew he was with him. Because he trusted he was going to be guided. And because of the trust that he was going to be guided, he was in listening mode to hear the guidance. How many of us do our own thing on our own? We didn't submit to him in the first place. We're on our own journey. You didn't, you didn't say anything. And he's like, I didn't send you on that journey. I didn't ever say I was going to guide you. Right? Because if you trust he's going to guide you from the beginning, because Abraham, Yahweh, told him an angel will go before you. Yeah. He didn't go off on a journey on his own without being told yeah. that you're, uh, 
Um, this is so good. It's decision. We make decisions on our own. Yes. And then we say, well, I, I mean, well, what? I mean, yeah. right. be sent. We're learning how to be sent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that we were being sent in this chapter until I just said it right now. But we're learning to be sent. He was sent and equipped. He was given gold and camels and given the goods of his master's house and told in instruction and which way to go and where to go. Then you'll be guided on the way. And because he knew he was going to be guided, he was in constant communication, he was in constant communion, and he was in constant listening mode for exactly what it was that the angel and Yahweh was going to guide him in. Okay. He anticipated his voice. And because of that, it was normal. We're kind of learning something about this Torah, right? That is just normal to commune with heavenly things. Yeah. Um Another thing that I will say that sometimes I think that we can't, we don't hear him because the, the music of the world is too loud. Yeah. Does that make sense? So you're on a journey, you could be totally sent, you could be completely equipped, and then you go on a journey and you kind of just dismiss that, that, that whole thing and the world just begins to kind of overpower and so then you're not, you're not anticipating and being normal that you're going to be guided in that way. I want to read something that's super, so, uh, super uh, profound. Verse 15, he's, he's saying like Yahweh, that, you know, basically, uh, please, you know, show me this. Again, that constant communication. Verse 15, now before he had finished speaking, <laughs> behold, just anticipate. Let it be normal. Talk. Before you're done talking. So if we're like, why hasn't he said anything? Let go go back to being sent. Start over. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know, but go back to being sent. Get get the goods. Get the direction. Get the commandment. Go back on the journey. Begin to anticipate. He's gonna guide me and start over. We're literally in that process. Yeah. Yeah. We listed our home. I don't need to get into all that. There's all that. He basically is like, go back, get sent, do this again. Now anticipate my guidance. Yeah. Okay? Before you're done talking. Yeah. Amen? Um, Eliezer was not distracted. That's a concept for us in this world. He was focused and intentional. Yeah. He was on a mission. Now, again, remember, read it from multi-dimension. Focused on a mission about his father's business, and that is all he was about. Now, I will say this about Eliezer. There's this powerful moment later on, which we're going to get to. They invite him into Rebecca's house, and they said, first eat. I won't eat until I've stated my business. Yeah. Eliezer was so focused on his master's command yeah. and so intentional that he put his master's business ahead of his own comfort, yeah. ahead of his own um, ease. How easy for him to be like, well, yeah, let's dine. We've arrived. And he said, hold on a second. 
I've got some business and I need to state that before we eat. It's a powerful statement for us Gentiles to be so focused about our, about our uh, father's business even after he's adorned Rebecca. He, he knows Yahweh's doing the answers there. Yeah. And he still says, yeah. there's no time to eat. We've got some because he could, we're gonna get we're gonna get into this, but he basically knows that these people have to give him an answer. It's either yes or no. And what's so powerful, and this is gonna come later in next week's Torah portion, but the answer to the yes and no he knew wasn't at him. The answer was yes and no to his master, and you're gonna see how he operates because all he does is honor his master. He was not there for himself at all, which is why it didn't matter. He didn't need to eat. First, let me state my business. Focused, not distracted, about his father's business. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right. Let me see where else I want to go. Okay. We're we doing it. We're doing it. Okay. Um, let me put this back over here. Uh, I want to talk about... These are just kind of some tidbits that I'm just going to kind of throw out there and then we'll tie it all up with some of the some more characteristics of Eliezer and Rebecca. And then obviously we're halfway through the Torah portion. This Torah portion landed on verse 41. I did have Regina read all the way through verse 49 because part of what I'm talking about has to do with kind of that whole section of him talking to the family. Um, but we'll pick up and kind of overlap and we'll do the rest of the Torah portion next week. Which gets into the faith of Rebecca and her father and her brother because then we're going to learn about the bride yeah and i'll get into a little bit about rebecca but that's going to be next week and it's going to be awesome okay um he had ten and a half shekels of gold now i'm just kind of weird like this but the last torah portion said that he bought land for 400. so i did the math that's 2.6 percent of shekels in jewelry. I don't, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but that kind of seems like a lot. Like if you put it in perspective of buying a piece of property and then having 2.6% of that land on my body. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good <laughs> <laughs> Somebody do the math for me. What, uh, 400, if, if a home was $400,000, how much thousands of dollars would be on my body at 2.6%? Twelve grand. Twelve. Well, anyways, twelve grand of jewelry is pretty good. Now, I I was comparing it to our engagement. I was like, eh. but I mean, this is a Gentile servant who's just saying, "Here's where my master comes from," to say this is just the beginning, right? This isn't Isaac giving an engagement ring. That I mean, that's twelve thousand dollars. Anyways. Um, 10400 So, um, that, I mean, he just met her. Let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, we dated a long time to get something close to that. We were, we were that close to that, but it, it was a lot. <laughs> this woman just waters some camels for an hour and gets $12,000 on her body and her nose and on her wrists. Anyways. What's powerful is he was generous. If you guys notice, he gave the gifts before he knew her family line. 
He trusted Yahweh, you led me here. And he gave, he didn't wait for full confirmation to then give. That's a word for all of us. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wait until there's full confirmation before I'm generous. Yeah. I'll be in charge of tithe next week. <laughs> right? But isn't that a word? Yes, yes, like, yes. I'm going to wait to see if that word is fulfilling, or I'm going to wait to yes. see if this pans out before I give. He didn't know the fullness of her bloodline, and he gave over what Yahweh, uh, what Abraham had given him to yeah. give over to her. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a sign of generosity and the wealth of the master. And then this is so powerful. I, I'm going to read this part. Um, verse 28. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's house these things. Again, look at it from this perspective. The church ran to tell their family what has happened. And in that, the family welcomes based on two things. One, her testimony, and two, the generosity and wealth of the master. So our generosity and wealth yeah. to the bride, yeah. as well as their testimony to our submission to Abraham, to Yahweh, yeah. is going to give favor to the whole household to say, go. Yeah. Yep. Are you yeah. Are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> literally two houses becoming one yes all wrapped up in one yes did you guys hear what he said yeah. the two houses becoming one all wrapped up right there our generosity prior to knowing the bloodline being submitted to the master her testimony and our generosity turns a house to say go yeah go and dwell in his land yeah. amen yeah. all right um uh i do want to talk about this okay verse 34 i am abraham's servant first of all he just got to say hold on a second i got some business i'm not eating yet they had up until this point called him lord what does he do he doesn't go, yes, I've been in the Torah for 60 years. I am Avraham's servant. What does Paul say? I am a bond servant. Right. I am a slave to this thing. Yeah. Right. We this is what, what I'm going to call Eliezer is a faithful messenger. Yeah. Who is the Gentile? Who is you? Faithful messenger. That's it. So, I am Abraham's servant. He did not go for his own. He was not there to represent himself, but to represent his house. Not to mention, what was he there for? To find a wife for the heir that's back at home. It wasn't even for himself. It, he's not finding his own wife. It was for the, the it was for Yeshua. My the church says, "Come in, sinner. Come to me." Yeah. Eliezer says, "I I don't want to eat. 
I've got some business to do. Yeah. I need your daughter to go home to be with Yeshua. It's totally different. When you're a faithful messenger, it's not for you to obtain. Right. It's for you to point. Right. I am Avraham's servant. Listen to this. Adonai has blessed my master very much. His immediate response is, let me give glory to where I come from. Yeah. It's a testimony yeah. so that he has become great. And he has given to him flocks of sheep and cattle, silver, gold, male slaves, female slaves, camels, and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, gave birth to a son. Okay, first of all, the first thing he does, like I said, the first thing he does is, I don't, I don't want to eat, I got some business. What's his business? I'm a servant. Let me tell you about my God. Yep. Then let me tell you about the heir yep. of God. Yeah. Let me tell you about the, the heir of the covenant. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes on. Uh, uh, my master, after she was old and he gave him everything he owns. Then, he, then, he, then he, he proceeds to say how good he, the father is of the house. Then he says he has one heir. Yeah. Not a ton of... He has one heir. And in, and in that heir, he has been given everything. What if we walked around talking about our father like that? And about his son who has been given everything? I'm just a servant. I'm just here to give the message. <laughs> then my master made me take an oath yeah. saying you must not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I'm dwelling instead you must go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son basically right there he's saying like you're going to need to leave this place and you're, you're going to need to dwell with the son who's been given everything what? Yeah. You're going to need to leave your place yep. and you're going to have to go to the heir who owns everything. Yep. And you can just see Rivka, Rebecca in the background being like, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, but this is, she runs and tells her family and then she's like waiting for them to give an answer because we're going to find out later she books it. <laughs> But I said to my master, suppose the woman won't come back with me. So he said to me, Adonai, before whom I've walked continually, will send his angel with you. And so anyways, he's basically saying, and then my journey was full of angelic activity and yeah. he guided me along the way. Yeah. And their response is, this must be Adonai's business. Yeah. 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 That was their response. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, it might be later on, but, um, so I come to you today. Uh, the God of Abraham, my master, if you are really going to make my way upon which I am walking successful, look, I'm standing by the spring of water. So he basically goes through the whole story. And at the end, um, anyways, I think it's later on. We're going to get to it next week. But their response ultimately responded with, this is Adonai's work. Yeah. There was no denying and we're gonna get into we're gonna get into it a little bit later. But Eliezer, not only does he then uh, let me just I'll just say these these things real quick, and then I think we're gonna be done. He he says he's on a great mission. 
He says that his master is great. He gives honor to the son, who is an heir. He says, I'm after the one who will leave the old home and go to the new one, who will follow me to get to the heir. Then he presses a reply and doesn't let them think. Because later on in the story, you know, they're like, well, let me think about it. And he's like, no, I need an answer. Immediate decision. Anyways, we'll, we'll get to that later. But I just kind of want to throw those out there about Eliezer. And then I, I do want to close with this because, and I, I'll have to find it. But there's a scripture where the family says, well, this had, then this, this is, uh, yeah, it, it's later on. Don't delay me. Adonai has made my way successful. And then they basically say, well, this is, this is Adonai's doing. So again, there's no, there's no, based on his story. So he, he didn't use the signs to just be guided to get there. But once he got there, he used it as a testimony to testify. This has to be Yahweh. Cause of course he was concerned. What if they don't let her go? So he didn't use his own ability to be like, you've got to come with me. He didn't force it. He yeah. basically had to use the testimonial. You don't understand. Yeah. Yahweh did this because this is what I asked of Rebecca, and she did it. Yeah. And in that testimony, the family was like, well, then this is Yahweh. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to close with this because we're going to get into it a little bit later. But who did he find? Like I said, well, one, there's a, the scripture in here talks about her looks. There are not many scriptures that talk about the beauty of, uh, of women. There's about maybe seven. She's in the realm of Vashti. Um, Sarah was another one. Uh, Esther is another one. So there's something to her beauty. And then um, the other thing is that what, what I got from this was, number one, she was chosen and know where she came from yeah. she wasn't just some random in the in the canaanite community this is this is this is the bloodline right so she was chosen and then coming from the bloodline and then um and i've already kind of talked about this but her character that she was giving to to serve giving water but then fulfilling and saying well let me feed your camels now knowing what she did doing it to completion and he let her fulfill the assignment to completion. Yeah. So again, this is foreshadowing that even once you give the testimony, before you're even giving the testimony, you're watching something to completion. Anyways, there's uh, so she had character. He wasn't just after looks and an age, but was after character and after a servant's heart. Because what he asked of the sign would have required her to be a servant. And it to be inconvenient and to be able to follow through on that type of work is super powerful to know who it was that he was looking for in the bride. Yeah. He's looking for beauty for a virgin. He's looking for one, though, that has a servant's heart who will not just talk the talk and say that they're going to do it, but actually do it, and he'll watch to completion. Then we're going to learn... He needs her to follow the Gentile home. And he needs her to submit to the authority of Yahweh in her household to go. 
So you're going to see this crazy faith in her in submission and faith and trust, just like Eliezer, to go where, where she's going. But to just to understand that whole, um, the, the following and the submission and all of that, what this story is unfolding. Yeah, and again, Eliezer, I've already said this again, but I just have this written down. He didn't aspire independence. His thoughts, his praise, and his deeds were about his master, period. He praised his master, his thoughts was towards his master, and his deeds were on behalf of his master. He did not aspire independence at all. He knew he was not his own, he was a bondservant of the master. Which is why when he asked them for an answer, he said, no, I need an answer if you're going to let her go. He knew he, uh, later on in the chapter, it says, but if not... To, um, so now if you're really going to show loyalty and truth, I'm, I, I'm past the Torah portion, I'm in verse 49. So now if, he tells the whole story. So now if you're really going to show loyalty and truth to my master, then you're going to tell me yes or no. So I know which way to turn. Again, they, he knew that the answer was not to him, but, but, but to his master. That is how much of a messenger he was or a servant in the kingdom that he was not there on his own accord, not seeking any kind of independence. So again, if the answer was no, I don't think he would have taken it personal. Does that make sense? Like when you're a bond servant, yeah. then it's not... Anyways. Okay. I think, that, I think that's it. <laughs> Did that give some um, <laughs> practical applica like practic <laughs> practical application? Well, I just <laughs> did it give some practical application on how to how to walk in the journey on a very practical level at the same time from a very high level that the journey you're on is not your own anyways. And it's not for you, yeah. and it's to, it's under his commandment, and it's to find the bride for the heir. Yeah. So when you have this broad perspective view, you start to recognize who you're serving, why you're serving, what you're doing, what got you there, why you're there, all of that stuff. And at the same time, he taught us how to actually navigate the, the journey. This is, this is the whole gospel in this one <laughs> I'm going to say that for all of them. But how powerful is that to have this big view of this whole thing and then to be able to line it out on how a Gentile or how a servant in the house walks? Yep. Oh, that's powerful. Yep. Yeah, that was good. Oh my gosh, his notes. Look Wait, at this. Hold... <laughs> it's like weird. I don't, nothing needs to be added to this every, this Torah portion and everything she just released is so profound to me because it isn't it's like she just said it's not just a powerful message right but mm. it actually equips mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and it doesn't just equip you but this is I would listen to everything she just said over and over and over and over again 
because Eliezer, Eliezer, however you pronounce that, is being given to us in this Torah portion mm -hmm. as a template of what it looks like to be a transitionary and to maintain yeah. covenant yes. from one place to the next, yes. from one generation to the next one. Yes. Which is what we are supposed to do. In this new season we're in, this new wineskin we're in, we are transitionaries that are carrying this type of assignment. Yep. Yeah. So like this is what I would do when you go back and listen to this repeatedly. This is what I would do. This is what I was doing. This is why my notes look like this. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep listening to this because this there's a pattern in here that you can if you you can see the pattern that's been established because we've been obedient to say yes to what Yahweh's called us to has started to, you can see a pattern that started to develop, right? So just like, just basic looking at who he was and not just who he was in the house, but how he walked it out. Yeah. Uh, he, he had an assigned task that was specific that he knew he was supposed to complete. I feel like, you have you have to start there. We we have a task we're supposed to complete. If you don't know that, you can't align everything else to that. And because he had a complete t or a, a task he was supposed to complete, it allowed him to demand mm -hmm. decisiveness. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was good. To the point to where his task. Yeah. He couldn't. He had to demand decisiveness on the part of the bride yeah. to where she had to align with his task yep. and he could not cater to her if she didn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is bringing so much encouragement to where we're at. How many people have dealt with? Yes. You're weird. Yeah. You're peculiar. What are you doing over there? What's like... We're... People could have questioned him, why is he doing what he's doing? Right? And I feel like we're getting that. So just to be like he was focused, he partnered, he wasn't bitter, he was selfless, he was obedient, he was led along the way. He knew there was something bigger than himself. He knew testing was blessing. Yeah. So he, he could be trusted. He anticipated. Like this is all, this is who we are supposed to be right here. Yeah. yeah. And if we know what our task is and we're crossing over, we can demand that people are either aligned with it or they're not. And if they're not aligned with it, we don't need to go back to right. where they're at. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Based, like, on, based on Abraham's instruction, he, pr he said, promise me that you're not going to compromise right. and let the sun go there. Yeah. She started out by saying, why is there so much detail in that has to do with this? When, when In comparison to all the other people, that it's just like one sentence. <laughs> right. But there's so much detail because he's literally, yeah. he's carrying the covenant promise on from one generation to the next one. And he's a Gentile. So it makes me think, okay, how can we bring this into this house right now? Into our, like for each of us right now. Because I can tell you right now, 
this pattern that we're called to walk out, this pattern that we can extract from this, has been assaulted since we started walking mm -hmm. in this pattern. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because actions precede beliefs, right? Yahweh says, yep. do this, do that. We're yeah, obedient. No, then right. he leads us along the way. Yeah. And along the way, we start seeing the yeah. pattern of yeah. how we're walking out yeah. being transitionaries. And that pattern has been attacked because the enemy doesn't want us right. to carry yeah. the promise from one generation to the next. Uh -huh. So it makes me think of like when... Why do we have to be so intense about communication? Come on. Come on. Constantly. <laughs> when constant communication was the foundation of every all the four things she talked about. Discernment, obedience, simplicity, anticipation. All these things were all based on his constant communion yeah. with the master of the house for six decades. And he stewarded the mundane things yeah. for 60 years yeah. yes. so he could be handed a not, mystery. Not being chosen and being bypassed. Yep. Like, so like it brings, it just makes me think like now, okay, we're, Yahweh says he's going to do this great thing, right? It's like, a, it's like a mystery that we have to, it's on the horizon over there. <laughs> we're standing right here and he's like, I'm going to give you what's on that right. peak over there. Yeah. yeah. Right? But we have to like we have to take one step at a time. It's like some people want to just be over there without doing the work to walk over there. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like the place of where we're at It was at, 900 miles, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. With an entourage. Like be encouraged that what what Yahweh said he was going to do that all of us said we were down for, like we signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> that the testing, like, yeah. I feel like this is what I was saying. We can get so tunnel vision mm -hmm. on pressure and yes. forget yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Or we can just get off track with the busyness of life and you lose constant communion. Right, and the, what I'm trying to connect here is nobody here is Yahweh, but this is the mechanism that Yahweh gave us to teach us the patterns of what it looks like to be a transitionary. There are dynamics that we're engaging in, family member to family member, that is teaching us the pattern as young children receiving the Torah on what it's going to look like when we become mature in the Torah to actually walk it out. Because we have the belief now. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in the family dynamic, right? Yeah, if right. people are like, right. there's too much honor. There's too much communication. There's too... You just do what somebody who's discipling you says to do. Let, like, do you guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a very fine line. People can easily yeah. attack. Yeah. And say, oh, our... our Tanya and Justin got it. You know what I'm saying? You right. can easily yeah. mock that yeah. when really what's happening is Yahweh's establishing a pattern yes. to, to give you mm -hmm. the authority yes. to go get the bride. Yes. I, that is so crazy yes. to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what's getting attacked. Yeah. 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 The the 
the end of the trajectory is what's being attacked, Absolutely. but he's attacking it at Absolutely. ground zero. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What he's attacking and yes. undermining is the mystery on that peak over there by attacking you right here. Yes. Yes. Because what's at stake is the two, the two houses becoming one. Right. And we can be so, like, so not operating in this pattern that we'll just get taken out because it's like, why do I, why do I need to be, be submitted? Why why, yeah, I, why sending? Right. Send, right. You can attack sending so easily. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, do we, why do we need to do that? Right? Now, it's I'm, these mundane things of like, why do we need to do all this stuff? And I'm not talking about sending. I mean, I am talking about sending. I'm not talking about sending necessarily in the expansion trips. I'm talking about sending into tomorrow. I'm talking about decisions going to work, conversation. Yeah, it, it, I'm talking about that type of thing. What he's getting at is that if he uses this as a foreshadow, yeah. why can't kingdom heirs be a foreshadow right. while while we're being attacked? Oh, is Abraham supposed to be Yahweh? Yeah. I mean, how many of you guys heard that? Oh, is your elders, are they God? Or, or whatever, you know, are you, are you saying that you are Yeshua? Yeah. Think of think Just, of right? what's right. happening in terms right. of growing right. kids in the things that we learned. Yeah. Right? Parents with young children, Osea, Jason is Yahweh in Osea's life. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but nobody's like, what do you if Jason takes care of Osea or tells him what to do or expects him to what obey him? Nobody's like, What do you think you're God, Jason? Like it doesn't <laughs> It's dumb, but that's what people do when they mock. Yeah. Right? And B, this is giving me freedom. That if I have a task and somebody doesn't align, it's just making me feel better, I guess. <laughs> if somebody's not aligning with that task, I don't need to cross back over right. to cater to them. Yes. Yes. Because the yes. father said. Don't bring the sun over there. They need to come over here. Right? I don't know. Right. This is a. This is. All of them are profound, but this one is because this is a pattern about who we are and what we're called to do. All of this, which we didn't know back in chapter whatever, when he said Eliezer could be my heir, and Yahweh went, "Nope. I need the blood." So it. I mean, I heard it then, but now I'm like, whoa, you know. So it, it it's again, it's that building. Hi. I will start passing the bucket. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot to add outside of my own things that I'm walking through and hearing. And when I hear things like, like there's a lone woman said, like. If you haven't heard from him, are you even like listening or stewarding what you've already had or what's been entrusted to you? Or are you even working what has already been put in front of you? And I hear that for myself, but there's a huge element of, at times, like when tides come, it, it can become familiar. It can be a habit. It can be a, it can lose its intentionality behind it. And have we... Are we actively asking what it's supposed to be? 
what number am I supposed to be doing? What's supposed to press me? What financial future am I supposed to be looking for? And how do I tighten that? With have we asked any of the questions? And I say this to myself because I, I have. And so that was more of just a, a thing to hear that was like in every application, but specific to. Uh, I mean, I have my own things that I'm trying to work through to find a place of being able to trust better. And yet in the finance can be the same thing. Sometimes we don't trust. I mean, when mom literally said, like I, like he gave a financial gift before mm -hmm. knowing the name, mm -hmm. it was one of those like, how many conditions have we put on things right. at time? Yeah. And I say that just me personally looking right. at it, like how easy is it to fall into that? And so yeah. uh, just that as a family, we analyze everything. I mean, there's every every aspect of our lives I feel is being just kind of ripped open to be seen, but like for a, a, a good reason. So, um, and then those who are uh, tithing text to give, uh, which most do, but the buck will be going Okay. Alright, you guys. For the chunk of me late tonight, I want to touch on or revisit this aspect of television is pressure. And take the example that we were given tonight and the context that was added to who we are, what we're called to, and how to walk that way. And leave with a question, because I feel like in order to grab a hold of that example, and grab a hold and fully digest that context of how we're called to walk, that we have to make sure that we're positioned in order to do so. And I heard a question tonight for our family, and that question was, are we here for ourselves or are we here for the house? And if you try to jump into making sense of or embodying the example of the servant without knowing with absolute certainty if you are here for the house it will get you nowhere. So when Yahweh continues to say, it is unto, do we have the mindset or the perspective that it is always and only unto? So the tunnel vision on pressure comes when we are here only for ourselves. Does that make sense? 
And I don't mean that we can't feel the weight of the pressure, that that can't be something that we have to endure and encourage one another through and acknowledge, but simply that there will be a different perspective imparted in you when it comes to the facing of that pressure when you are here for the house. The pressure will affect you differently when you are here for the house and when you fully understand what it's unto. So when mom and dad are addressing that getting distracted or or consumed by the pressure, what I hear is that happens when you don't fully die to self and you're here for you versus the house. So in order to receive the impartation of Eleazar, you have to ask yourself and ask Yahweh to expose fully in you, am I, who am I here for? What am I here for? And it will realign some things in you and give you an opportunity to reconcile some things. Because what is at stake is the two houses. But, but we can't we can't bear the weight of the responsibility of the two houses if you're not here for the house to begin with. Right? Yes. Yes. It it will the pressure will just it will destroy you. And it's meant to. <laughs> it's it's meant to destroy you, but it's meant to destroy you because it's unto. But there's a different there's a different type yeah. of, of destruction that comes right. when you're only yeah, right. enduring right. something for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we can absolutely still be in a place where even though we are in a mature, a more mature state than we've ever been, we absolutely can still have endured what we have on behalf of ourselves. It's amazing how far self-preservation and selfishness will take you. It's incredible how far it can take you. And be completely disguised as something else. And only when you're confronted with the fullness of, of purpose and what's at stake, and Yahweh says, okay, now I'm going to fully reveal to you your purpose. Now I'm going to fully reveal to you what's at stake. Only then will you realize, I, I don't know if I was here for that. And that's what's happening now. When Yahweh said, it's time to become what you've said that you are. 
that is when the fullness of of self gets exposed. And it's not meant to be a scary, disheartening thing. Just that, that, that destruction of self is the fullness of servanthood and freedom. Servanthood, servanthood is absolute freedom. That, that is already a, a, a lie that has been completely flipped right in us. When Yahweh said, and that example was given of religion versus relationship and what it looks like to be bound, that it has this connotation where it's like, well, I'm not supposed to be bound. I'm supposed to be free. Yeah. <laughs> right? And Yahweh, Yahweh, he, al- he already did that. He already did that. But there is a, there is, you are being bound to, you are being bound to your purpose and to what's at stake. So go home with that question and ask yourself, ask someone else. Missy, (laughs) truly, Missy sent us into that last week. Find a partner. Is that what you said? Find a partner. It is really hard to identify selfishness in yourself. It is really hard because we are the kings and queens of self-justification. You you can justify any mindset. You can justify any behavior. You can justify any thought. And so Yahweh said, I'm going to put you in a family so that you have a safe place to be raised and to die so that you can fully live in servanthood unto me, unto the purpose that I have set you all apart unto. So don't get squeamish when we start talking about things like selfishness versus understanding that we are here for the house because there are two houses becoming one and it's all at stake and it's all being entrusted to us. And this process of testing, did that, did that give you a new sense of freedom in testing? To hear testing unto, unto being trusted? Test me all day. So that, so that where I fail, so that every area that I fail, I can be resurrected in and become trustworthy. So take those home, a perspective shift in testing unto being trusted. And the question, are we here for ourselves or for the house? Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.